0: Welcome to the Harmony Christian Church Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by today's message. I wanna talk to you today about a a small subject uh, with Christianity, and that is faith. Just a small thing, faith. Faith comes from the Hebrew word pistis. And no, I'm not cussing when I say that. That's the word, I promise. am not looking for an excuse to say, say bad words up here. The word is pistis. And what it means is this. Faith means what can be believed. A state of certainty with regard to belief, believe to complete trust, the state of complete dependability. So if you break down that definition of faith, it can be broken down into three words. Faith is certainty, trust, and dependability. Certainty, trust, and dependability. What does that that mean? That we're certain that our faith is unwavering in our belief of who he is. No person, no circumstance, no philosophy can persuade us that he is anything other than who he says he is. Certain that he has the power to complete, or to complete the promises that he has made. Amen? We trust. We trust that he is good. Trust that his intentions towards us are good. Amen? And dependability. That he is plan A. There is no plan B. Faith says that he is plan A. There is no plan B. He is dependable to accomplish the promises that he has made. Amen. So this, this is faith. Faith. Let me say this. Faith is not blind. Right. This is not blind faith. It's not just a shot in the dark. It's not just high hopes, pie in the sky. Right. Faith is sure. You know, blind faith is called called something. It's called a gamble. Right. We're not gambling with our faith. We're not just throwing something out there, betting on red or black, and hoping that it ends up being the right thing, right? Faith is not a gamble. You know why faith is not a gamble? Because faith takes into account the certainty, trustworthiness, and dependability of God. We're not just hoping things will happen. We're trusting the person, God, to make it happen, amen? And he is dependable. Faith is not a risk. Let me say that again. Faith is not a risk. It's not a gamble. Yes, sometimes this is how we treat faith, don't we? Right? That we're just going to throw it out there and hope it sticks. Whatever it may be that we're believing God for, whatever it is, we're just going to throw it out there and hope that it happens, right? I had this, uh, this thing happen to me back when I was a teenager. I was um, we were on a missions trip. We had gone to, I can't even remember where we went, Missouri, somewhere in Missouri, on a missions trip. And then after the missions trip, we went to the ramp for, for a conference is how we ended our missions trip. Well, during our time in Missouri, uh, I, had, I was playing around doing something dumb. I think I was on a skateboard or a scooter or something. And I ended up falling and I busted up my heel real bad. Uh, and it, I don't know what, I never went to the doctor Never did anything, so I don't know if I fractured it. It kind of felt like I maybe maybe did something to it, but I I was having trouble walking. It was bruised. It was swollen. It was it was really rough. So, and of course, you know how it is. the the longer you wait, right, Jordan? Don't don't go to the doctor. Just deal with it like a man, right? Just goes away. Yeah, just faith that it's gonna go away. But uh, I was bruised up real bad. Uh, I was walking with a real bad limp. It was hurting really bad. We go to the ramp, which is not the place you want to go to with a bad limp, because uh, you know everybody's jumping in worship. It's fun. It's exciting. Not to mention you're at a ramp conference, which means everybody's full of faith. So everybody wants to pray for you, right? You see you with a limp, and they're like, "Uh-uh, I'm gonna, we're gonna we're gonna pray for that." So so we get to the ramp, and uh, they they uh, invite people. They're, they're talking about faith. They're talking about believing for healing and those sorts of things. And then uh, they ask if, you know, anybody who is having issues with their body, things, uh, things going on, to raise their hand, and then the people around them to gather around them and just begin praying for them. So I lift my hand up because my heel is bruised and it's hurting. And this young man from another youth group comes over, and man, the kid is just full of faith, right? He's just, he's just ready, to, he's ready to pray. So he gets down and he prays one time and he's just going at it, he praying. And then he looks up at me and he's like, how's it feel? And I'm like, you know, it's still kind of hurts. Still hurts. He's like, that's fine. It's fine. Praise again. Even harder this time, like just screaming at my heel, you know, casting out the devil, like doing all of the things. How does it feel now? I can't lie, it still hurts. It's, I still can't walk on it, it still hurts. He's like, all right. And then he just like rolls up his sleeves, right? Like he's about to go to town, he's throwing oil on it. He's, he's dipping, he's not just throwing, he's dipping it in oil, not really, but, uh, but he's just going to town, just praying, spitting, believing, you know, for this thing to be healed. And I'm like, I get to the point where I realize, I'm like, this kid is not going to give up. Like we've moved past it now in the service and he's still just going for it, right? He's still just going for it. So I, get, I just begin to realize he's not going to stop. So all of a sudden I'm like, you know what? It is feeling a little bit better. It wasn't feeling better. I'm like, oh, my gosh. So I start, like, moving around. I'm like, yeah, it feels great, you know, and like just, just to get the kid off me, right? Like, stop praying for me. And I totally lied. I don't, I don't know if that's i – I'm sure it's a sin. I, lying is a sin. Yeah, that's right. So I totally sinned. Yeah, totally messed up. But i just like, man, this kid is not going to stop. He's going to throw oil. He's going to scream. He's going to spit. You know, I want to tell you something. There is a, there is a principle – with faith where you pray and you believe unceasing you just keep persevering keep pushing in faith but at that moment it was kind of it was more of trying to do the power of persuasion than it was faith if that makes sense it was more man if i just say it enough times maybe it'll happen if i just do enough of the churchy things and rub enough oil on it, and, you know, do all of the churchy things, then maybe it'll happen. It was just throwing it out there and hoping it sticks. That's not faith. Faith is not trust in the miracle. Faith is trust in the man. Faith is trust in the father. Faith is knowing that he is dependable, he is trustworthy, and he is certain. And my faith is not in a miracle. My faith is in the man that can perform the miracle. Amen? It's not high hopes, pie in the sky. It's not the power of persuasion. It's not yelling at enough times. It's believing. The perseverance in faith is not saying it over and over again in perseverance. The perseverance in faith is persevering, believing that even if I haven't seen it yet, he's trustworthy. He's dependable. And it's certain because he will keep his promise. It's faith in the man, not the miracle. Amen? Does that make sense? John, uh, we could see this principle, and I, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here. But in John chapter 14, um, Jesus is talking to the disciples. John chapter 14 through 17 are some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples And he says this, uh, starting in verse 9. That's 13. Hold on. There it is. He says, "'Jesus replied, Philip, I've been with you all this time, and you still don't know who I am. How could you ask me to show you the Father? For anyone who has looked at me has seen the Father. Don't you believe that the Father is living in me and that I am living in the Father? Even my words are not my own, but come from my Father.'" For he lives in me and performs. Here it is. He lives in me and performs his miracles of power through me. Believe that I live as one with my father, that my father lives as one with me, or at least believe because of the mighty miracles I have done. What's Jesus saying here? He's saying that the father is living in me. He says, and then actually let me just finish the verse here. I tell you this timeless truth. The person who follows me in faith, believing in me, will do the same mighty miracles that I do, even greater miracles than these because I go to be with my Father. For I'll do whatever you ask me to do when you ask me in my name. And that is how the Son will show what the Father is really like and bring glory to him. Ask me anything in my name and I will do it for you. There's so much there in that passage. But here's, here's the point I want to make here this morning. Greater works comes through faith, Yes. But not the typical view of faith that says, if I just believe hard enough for the miracle, it'll happen. How many of you have ever thought this or done this? Like when you're praying for something, whether it's healing for somebody's body or it's you're praying over somebody who's dealing, going through a situation. And it's like, man, I cannot have any doubts. Right. Like faith is the absence of doubt which we're gonna talk more about that next week. Faith is actually not the absence of doubt. Faith and doubt can be companions in the walk of faith. But it's, it's, we have this idea that if I mentally strive hard enough not to doubt, then it'll happen. But if I have just an ounce of doubt in my mind, then shoot, I just lost all of it, right? It's not gonna happen. That's not faith, right? It, God is not some diva movie star who will come in and perform as long as all the M&Ms in the room are green, right? But if there's one red M&M in there, he's done, right? That's not how God operates. It's not like if you have one little thought of doubt that he's not going to come. So if greater works happens, not because we have mentally strived hard enough not to doubt, but we have faith that says if he is in me and I am in him, that anything can happen. It's not faith in the miracle. It's not having zero doubt. It's having faith to believe that he is trustworthy, he is certain, and that he is dependable, amen? Amen. If he is in me, then anything is possible. Faith is not a gamble. It's not the power of persuasion. It's seeing that the one who has given us the promise It's seeing the one who has given us the promise and being certain that he is trustworthy and dependable to keep his word. My faith is in him. My faith is in him, amen? You know, you can't talk about faith and not look at Hebrews chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, flip with me over to Hebrews chapter 11, verse one. Does anybody know Hebrews chapter 11, verse one? If you do, shout it out. Awesome. There we go. There it is. There it is. That's it. Faith is the substance of things. Oh, wait, now you got me messed up. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. The sub- something like that. Let me just read you the Bible. <laughs> Faith is the evidence of things not seen, the substance of things hoped for. I think is how it goes. This is out of uh, this is out of the Passion translation. That same verse, Hebrews chapter eleven, verse one. Now, faith brings our hopes into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. Amen. It's the evidence to prove what is unseen. What does that even mean? I meant to bring a bag of chips up here this morning for a, for a live demonstration, but I forgot. So you're just going to have to imagine that I have a bag of Doritos in my hand right now, okay? What does this mean? What does it mean to, that it proves things that are unseen? Listen, we do this every day with normal, ordinary things, right? When you get a brand new bag of chips, Cool Ranch Doritos, amen, whew, Cool Ranch Doritos, gift from God right there. If you have a bag of chips, right, and you haven't opened it yet, you have faith that when you open it, even though you haven't seen what's in the bag, you have faith to believe that when you open it, you're not gonna get nacho cheese, right? You're not gonna get gradettos. You're not gonna get bugles, right, bugles. You're not gonna get a different chip. When you open the bag, you're going to get Cool Ranch Doritos, right? Why? Because Dorito, the company, has proven to be dependable. Because every other time you've opened the bag, guess what's been in there? What it says on the label, right? You haven't seen it, but you have faith to believe that what it says on the outside of the bag is what's in the bag, right? What does it mean to have faith in what is unseen, right? That it's evidence to prove what is unseen. Faith says that even though I haven't seen the promise yet, I know it will happen because it came from his mouth. Because he is dependable. And if he said it, even if I haven't seen it with my eyes yet, I can trust that it'll happen because he is dependable. Because he is certain. Because he has proven himself time and time and time again. And if he said it, even though I haven't seen it with my eyes, I can trust that it will happen because he is trustworthy. So faith is the evidence of things unseen because my faith is in him. Because he is trustworthy and he is dependable. So that means this. That you are a son and a daughter of God, even when you don't feel like it, because he says this in John chapter 1. But as many of you as received him, to him he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. You are righteous, even when you don't feel righteous, because he says, For he made him who knew no sin to become sin for us, that through him I might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You are holy even when you don't feel holy, because it says in Colossians chapter one, you who once were alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. You are loved even when you don't feel loved. Even when you feel worthless and that you don't measure up. You are loved, why? Because he tells us this in John chapter 17, for they will see that you love each of them with the same passionate love that you have for me. You are those things, not because you feel those things. You are those things, not because you even see those things operating in your life. You are those things because he said you were those things. Amen. You are righteous because he said you were righteous. You are holy, because he said you were holy. I'll even go as far as to say, you are healed, because in Isaiah chapter 53, the Bible says that by his stripes, you are healed. Even when the reality points otherwise, if he says it, I believe it, because faith is not seeing, faith is Um, faith is believing what is unseen, amen? Because we trust the one who said it. Faith is the evidence of things that are unseen because he's the one who said it, amen? You are saved by grace. What does it say in Ephesians chapter two, verse eight? You are saved by grace through faith, not of yourselves. It is a gift from God. Not by works, least anyone should boast. I think we still sometimes have it in our mind that we have to earn righteousness. We still have it in our mind that we have to earn favor with God. Listen, it says right there in Ephesians, salvation is a gift from God. It's yours to take. And it's not through our own works and our own merit. The Bible says that it's by grace through Faith, which means that even if we don't see it, we trust it because he said it. Even when we don't feel holy, we are holy because he said we are. So even though it's unseen, faith is the evidence of things unseen. Amen? He said it, I believe it. We sang it this morning, right? He said it, I believe it. He said it, I believe it. Faith is the evidence of things not seen. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. We're going to look at some of this here. And we're going to jump around a little bit in chapter 11 here this morning. But if you uh, go with me now to chapter or verse 8. It says, Faith motivated Abraham to obey God's call and leave the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. Don't, don't pass that up, the big deal, how, how big of a deal that is. Abraham obeyed God's call and left his, the familiar to discover the territory he was destined to inherit from God. So he left with only a promise and without even knowing ahead of time where he was going. Husbands, how many of you, if you got in your car, said, honey, let's get the kids in the car God told me that we're going somewhere. Okay, well, awesome. Where are we going? I have no idea. Okay, well, how long are we going to be there? A long time. Probably forever. Okay. How many of you, how many of you, your wives would be cool with that? <laughs> I, I, apparently for Buzz, it's not cool, right? <laughs> Did you hear that sinister laugh on the front row there? Yeah, that's not happening in the Charles home, Right? He left on a promise from God. And listen, a lot of times I think we, we think that things work differently for these people in the Bible, right? Like that, that Abraham had God incarnate standing in front of him and said, Abraham, go to the land that I will show you. No, he heard God like we hear God. He received the promise from God like we receive promises from God, Right? And on that word, that promise that he heard from God, he packed up everything and went to a land that he didn't even know where he was going. He just started walking because he had a word from God. You wanna know why? Because Abraham had faith, not in the promise itself, but in the one who gave the promise because he knew that he was trustworthy, dependable, and certain. So Abraham starts walking Abraham stepped out in faith. He lived by faith as an immigrant in his promised land as though it belonged to someone else. What does that mean? That means like, like let's say, uh, I, it'd be like me packing up my family and walking around Indiana, camping in tents. And everywhere I went, I'd be like, this state, it's mine, right? Like I go into a gas station. I'm like, hey, I will allow you to run your business in this state because it's mine, right? This is what Abraham's doing. He's walking around the land of Canaan with his, with his wife and his two sons, setting up tent, walking around like he owns the place, right? Everybody else, everybody that owns the land, all that, he's walking around like he's the one who owns the land because he has the faith to believe that God's promises are trustworthy. So he's walking around Canaan like he owns the place, setting up tents, He journeyed through the land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, and I love this part, who were persuaded that they were also co-heirs of the same promise. So not only did Abraham believe God that he would inherit the promise, Abraham so believed God that he convinced his two sons that they were heirs of the same promise, that he was. He was thinking generationally already. That if this is my promise, this is my kids and their kids promise as well. That he passed down the promise to his sons, Isaac and Jacob, that they were walking around Canaan like they owned the place too. His eyes of faith were set on the city with unshakable foundations, whose architect and builder is God himself. Then it says this about Sarah. Sarah's faith embraced God's miracle power to conceive even though she was barren and was past the age of childbearing. For the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise and she tapped in to his faithfulness. Then it says, in fact, so many children were subsequently fathered by this aged man of faith. I love this part. One who was as good as dead. How does that make you feel, Abraham? One who is as good as dead. That he now has offspring as as numerable as the sands of the seashore and as the stars in the sky. Verse 13 again, or I'm sorry, verse um, verse 11. The authority, talking about Sarah, the authority of her faith rested in the one who made the promise. And she tapped in to his faithfulness. Think about this. She was Sarah was around 70 years old and barren. Well past the age of childbirth. Any 70 year olds in the room, how would you like to have a new baby born right now? Probably not, right? She's past, I see a lot of mm no. She's 70 years old when she receives the promise. 25 years pass from when she receives the promise ...to when Isaac was born. So what would that be? 80, 95? 85? I went to Kokomo. I'm sorry. 85. 95. I was right. She went to Tipton. I mean, you know. 95 years old. And she's given birth to a son... ...named Isaac. 95 years old. And what does it say of her again? The authority of her faith... ...rested in the one who made the promise... And she tapped in to his faithfulness. She was around 70 years old and barren. But she looked past the reality of her situation and rested in his faithfulness. She looked past the reality of what, where she was at, the stage of life she was at, her experience of trying to be pregnant and unable to have a baby for years and years and years and years. And the Bible says that she looks past that reality and taps in to the faithfulness of the one who made the promise. We see this with, with Abraham as well. In uh, chapter 11, verse 17, it says that faith operated powerfully in Abraham. For when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac, Isaac, Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. For God had promised through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. Abraham, you do realize that you have, your son has to be alive, right? In order for generations to come from him. But it says that, it goes on and it says, Abraham's faith made it logical to him that God could raise Isaac from the dead. And symbolically, that's exactly what happened. Abraham has this promise that Isaac, that through Isaac, that there'd be many generations born from his line. But then he gets the word that he's to go up and to sacrifice Isaac. And the Bible says that his faith made it logical to him that even if Isaac dies, that the promise will still be fulfilled. Reality says that Abraham, if your son dies, promise is over, right? If your son is gone, then that stops, that ruins the promise and it can no longer take place, it can no longer happen. That's what reality says, but the Bible says that through his faith in God, it made it logical that God could raise Isaac from the dead. Faith makes illogical things seem logical. Why? Because you have a special ingredient, don't we? We have a special thing. We have have one, one attribute that people that don't have faith don't understand, and that attribute is this, that he is faithful. He is trustworthy and he is certain and dependable. And so even when reality looks at us and says that it's impossible, we look at the one who made the promise and say it is absolutely possible. It is absolutely possible. Amen? Faith says that even when reality is in the exact opposition to the promise, I trust his character to do what he promised, more than I trust the reality I see. Let me say that again. I trust his character to do what he promised, more than I trust the reality that's in front of me. Church, that's good. Let me say it again. I trust his character to do what he promised, more than I trust the reality That's in front of me. That's what faith looks like. The reality says there's no possible way. But faith says, if he promised it, it's going to happen. If he promised it, then he is trustworthy, he is dependable, and he is certain. Amen? But here's the deal. Sometimes you don't see it. Can I get an amen on that one? Sometimes you hear the promise. Sometimes you receive the promise and you have faith to believe for it and you don't see it. Hebrews eleven thirteen says, these heroes all died, still clinging to their faith, not even receiving all that had been promised them. Abraham was promised children as numerous as the seashores. He had two kids. And one of the kids was illegitimate, born outside of the will of God. He had two children and that is all. But he was promised children as numerous as the sands on the seashore. By the world's standards, Abraham was delusional to hold on to a promise that was obviously not kept. Right? Right? The promise wasn't, wasn't Abraham, you're going to have kids. The promise wasn't Abraham, you're going to have one kid or two kids. The promise was Abraham, you're going to have so many kids that you're not even going to be able to count them. Right? They're going to be as numerous as the stars of the sky. They're going to be as numerous as the sands of the seashore. But Abraham, you had two kids. And the Bible says that he died believing God that the promise was fulfilled. He didn't receive the fullness of the promise. He received just the seed of the promise. Just the seed. He had one child that was promised to him, and his name was Isaac. And through that promise, he saw the seed of the promise, and he said, look, God is faithful. But Abraham, the promise was, no, 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 God is faithful. Look at the seed right here. Let me ask you this question. What promises are you holding on to that the world would look at and say, you're delusional for believing that? What promises are you holding on to that you haven't seen yet? And if you, and, but, you're, but you, you're still believing for it, and the world would look at that and say, listen, that is impossible. It's not going to happen. Let me tell you a few of mine. One of my promises that I'm believing to see God do and fulfill is that Elwood, Elwood would be a city wholly given over to him. That this city that's five miles away from us would be a city that is wholly given over to him. That the reputation Elwood has right now is not a great reputation, is it? But that one of these days, Elwood is gonna be known as a city where you can go and experience the presence of God just by crossing its borders, right? If God can take a disobedient man like Jonah, right? And transform a city like Nineveh, What can he do with a group of people who are convinced that he keeps his promises? If God can transform the city of Nineveh with a disobedient man, what can he do with a group of people who just believe that he can do what he said he's going to do? So I believe God is going to transform the city of Elwood. I believe God is going to do what he promised. And these signs shall follow those who believe. They shall cast out demons in my name. And when they lay their hands on the sick, they will see them recover. We haven't seen a lot of that. We've seen some of it, right? We've seen God do some of it, but we haven't seen it in its fullness yet. But listen, if he said it, I believe it. If he said greater works follow those who believe in my name, then I believe greater works are going to follow those who believe in his name. And if we haven't seen it yet, it doesn't change my faith. It doesn't change my stance. It doesn't change how I pray because my faith is not in what I see. My faith is in the one who said he was trustworthy and dependable. And if he said it, I believe it. And I'm going to keep pursuing it, not because I believe in the power of persuasion that if I just do it enough, it'll happen, but because I trust the one who said it and he is dependable to keep his promises, amen? He is dependable to keep his promises. My brother-in-law, Terrence, has heart failure. He's at a point in his life, he's 40, how old is he, Forty. 43? He's 43 years old, needs a heart transplant. There's no other options for him. But you know what? I was in prayer one day and I heard the Lord say that God is going to give him a new heart. He said, I'm going to give him a new heart. So, you know what? I pray just about every day. I pray. I get out my, my phone. I have a whole little statement that I wrote in faith. And I just say that statement over again and I just say, God is going to give Terrence a new heart. God is going to give him a new heart. He's going to live and he's not going to die. He's going to be healthy and he's going to be whole. He's going to be whole. And I believe that's gonna happen because he is faithful to complete his promises. And you know what? Whether that promise is fulfilled through God miraculously giving him a new heart or it's fulfilled through the medical field and and God giving giving him the opportunity to have a heart transplant. I don't care which way it comes. I believe God's giving him a new heart. And I believe it because he said it. I believe God, here's something else I believe. I believe God is coming back for a bride that is without blemish, spot, or wrinkle. I believe he established his church on the rock and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I believe his kingdom is advancing on earth and not in standstill till he returns. Come on, church Christians often act like, man, we're just gonna have to endure until he finally splits the skies and comes to make everything right. That's not what he said. he said. He said that the government of his peace, will, uh, he said of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. So we're not in standstill, having to endure until he comes back. I believe that the kingdom is advancing through us until he returns. It's not in standstill. I believe the world gets brighter as his sons and daughters go into the darkness, that you are the light of the world and that if the world is dark, then we need to light it up. Then if, the, if you see darkness around you, then you need to shine that light that's on the inside of you because darkness doesn't stand a chance against light. When have you ever walked into a room, a dark room, flip the light switch on and then there's a cosmic battle between light and darkness, right? There's like this five minute battle and hopefully, hopefully the light wins. No, it doesn't work like that. You flip the light on, the darkness is immediately gone. If there's darkness in the world, it's not because the darkness is so powerful, it's because we haven't flipped our light on. You are the light of the world. Amen? If he said it, I believe it. And he said you're the light of the world. Come on. Of the increase of his government there sh- in peace, there shall be no end. If he said that, I believe it. I don't care what it looks like around me. I don't care if it looks like the world's going to hell in a handbasket, right? If he said the increase of his government in peace, there will be no end, then I believe that his government is increasing, not decreasing. I believe the kingdom is more advanced today than it was yesterday. Because he said it was. Hebrews 11, verse 13. How did they hold on to the promises that they were given? How did they hold on to the promises that they died clinging to? How did Abraham, who had two kids and was promised as many kids as the sands of the seashore, how did he die holding on to the promise? It tells us in verse 14, starting in verse 14. It says, for clearly those who live this way are longing for the appearing of a heavenly city and if their hearts were still remembering that they left what they left behind they would have found an opportunity to go back but they couldn't turn back for their hearts were fixed on what was far greater that is the heavenly realm so because of this god is not ashamed in any way to be called their god for he has prepared a heavenly city for them how do they hold on to these promises they view the promises from a heavenly perspective in this heavenly realm, there is no measure of time, and therefore, there is no lack of time. These people that died with the promise in hand were not looking from an earthly perspective. They, um, they were not looking from an earthly perspective where they could only view things from their lifetime. They were looking from an eternal perspective and could see their kids' kids holding the promise. Living on earth as it is in heaven cancels all timelines and it places faith in the ancient of days who sees the end from the beginning. Living from a heavenly perspective cancels your timeline. We tend to view God's promises for our life through our 80, 90 years that we have on this planet, through our our own personal lifetime. But when you look at the Ancient of Days, who sees the end from the beginning, it cancels all timelines. Meaning this, Abraham's promise was fulfilled, not in his lifetime, but in Isaac's lifetime and in Jacob's lifetime. That Abraham actually died not inheriting the land of Canaan, but you know who did? His descendants. So was God faithful to Abraham? Absolutely. Did Abraham ever see it on this earth? He did not. But when you have faith in God, it cancels the timeline we put ourselves on because he doesn't live with an 80, 90-year-old time frame. He lives from eternity. He sees the beginning from the end and the end from the beginning. And so you don't operate in timelines that you maybe have given a promise that you may not see in your lifetime, but your grandkids, right? Right? they may be able to experience and walk in the inheritance of what you believe for. Because you were faithful to trust in the God who is dependable and trustworthy. And you distilled or instilled that promise and that faith in that God into your kids, just as Abraham did with Isaac and Jacob as they were walking around a land that they did not own, claiming that this is the land God had promised me. And even though I didn't get to see it in my lifetime, you get to see it in yours. Because God doesn't work from an 80 or 90 year old time frame. He works from eternity. So how do you have faith to believe for things you cannot see? Even when you're at the end of your life and you still haven't seen those things come to pass, how do you have faith to believe? You understand and you begin to see things not from an earthly perspective, but from a heavenly perspective where there is no time frame. There is no, there is no, uh, no. Well, there is no time frame in heaven. Isaac was the seed of Abraham and Sarah's promise. He just saw the seed of the promise and said, "See, God is faithful. God is faithful." I want to ask you something here this morning, to close. What are you believing God for? What are you believing God for? What promises are you holding on to that are still just in seed form? What are you believing God for that reality tells you is impossible? Craig Rochelle um, says something, I can't I don't know the exact quote, but something along the lines of: if what you're believing God for doesn't seem impossible, or if somebody on the outside Could look in and say, There's no possible way, then listen, you're not believing hard enough. If you can physically make it happen yourself, right, there is more to the promise. Because God promises crazy things. Crazy things. Let me ask you again what are you believing God for? What promises are you holding on to from the Father that seem absolutely impossible? If somebody were to look at it, would say, There is no possible way. What are you looking to God for that is still in seed form? And you know what? I want to go ahead, if you have that in your mind, go ahead and just share that out loud this morning. Does anybody have any promises that they're believing God for this morning? What's that? salvation for oh man that's a good one salvation for my children come on anyone else what are you believing god for Out, outpouring. Outpouring. outpouring come on outpouring absolutely revival the only answer for our nation is revival yes. that's right it's not washington you know what it's it's never been government has it jim We can look all throughout scripture, all throughout history. Government has never been the solve. The solve is for people to see Jesus. We need an outpouring, amen. What else? What are some other things we're believing for, you're believing for? Salvation for my grandchildren, amen, in the world that they live in. Restoration of families. Come on, the promise from Malachi. Yes, that fathers would return to their children and children to their fathers, amen. Amen. What else? Come on, this is building faith in the room here this morning. Just share, just shout out, what are you believing for that seems impossible? Healing for our bodies, Healing for our bodies. amen. I believe it too, Chase. Absolutely, absolutely. Come on, he said it, didn't he? You have faith as small as a mustard seed. You can say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea and it'll be done for you. Come on. What else? Yes, whatever you ask, I will do in my name. Amen. 10 published books. I believe it. Man, I don't know if any of you know this about Sam, but he is a writer Uh, like I've never seen before. The man can just sit and write a whole book in a day. Him and Debbie both. We're believing for published books for him. He has a word and a message that the world needs to hear. And now he needs the opportunity to be able to share that. Amen? What else? Anybody else? Church, if he said it, we believe it. How many of you are with me on that? If he said it, I believe it. That my faith is not in the miracle itself. That I'm not mentally striving not to doubt. My faith is in the one who made the promise. My eyes are not, listen, the church gets lost. I'm almost done, I promise. The the church gets lost sometimes, like, like uh, they begin focusing, it's all about miracles. It's all about miracles. I want to see miracles happen. I want to see miracles happen. And listen, I want to see miracles happen too. But more than that, I want to see his eyes. More than that, I want to see his face. That my attention is not on what he can do. Pastor Ron says it best. He says well, a lot of times we want what's in his hand when we need to look at what's in his face. I love what he gives us, but more than what he gives us, I want to see the trustworthy, dependable, certain one. And through looking at him, we'll see the promises fulfilled. Through looking at him, my faith is in him, not in the miracle itself. So Jesus, we say yes, and we believe, God, that our kids and our grandkids are going to see salvation, Jesus. God, that they are going to know you and be fully given to you in Jesus' name. God, that the world no longer can have a hold on them. That Babylon and Egypt have no say in their lives anymore. But that they are crossing over into the promised land. That they are going to see salvation in the land of the living. God, that they are going to lay down the things of this world to take up their cross and to follow you in Jesus' holy name. God, that they are going to know how dearly and deeply they are loved by the Father. And through that love, they are going to dedicate and follow and pursue the one who loves them all the days of their life in Jesus' name. God, whatever situation they're in right now seems impossible. And I say, Lord, that it is not impossible but that through you and their encounter and experience with you, they can follow you all the days of their life. So we say yes to that promise. God, we say yes to an outpouring to sweep across our nation in Jesus' name. God, that that even though the world looks lost right now, God, that you can come and in a moment change the whole atmosphere of our nation and of our world. God, that the world would see you for who you are. God, that they would encounter the presence of God. God, that when you walk into the room, everything changes. So God, we pray for an outpouring on our universities. We pray for an outpouring in our churches, in our high schools, in our elementary schools, in our uh, middle schools. We pray for an outpouring, Lord, in the White House and in Congress, Father, and in the Supreme Court. God, we pray for an outpouring in this nation. God, that you would come with revival and visit us, Jesus. God, I pray for favor over Sam as he's writing his books and as he's publishing. God, that you would give him favor. God, not just to make money off of books, but to share a message that the world needs to hear. And God, that you would give him favor to put that message in front of as many eyes as possible. God, give him wisdom and favor, God, and discernment and and divine revelation moving forward on how to accomplish the promise you have given him. In Jesus' holy name. God, we pray for healing in our bodies. God, your word says that by your stripes we have been made whole. God, your word says, God, that these signs shall follow those who believe that if they lay their hands on the sick, they will see them recover. And if you said it, we believe it in Jesus' name. God, we're, our faith is in you and in you alone. We trust you completely because you are certain, you are dependable, and you are trustworthy. God, restore our faith. Restore our faith, Jesus. Make our faith strong. Father, we pray these things in your holy and precious name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. For more messages like this or information about our church, please visit HarmonyChurchFamily.org.